I'm glad you are here. We, if, if this is the first time you've been here or you haven't been in a while, I'm preaching through the Beatitudes uh, found in Matthew 5, what we commonly call the Beatitudes. And the title of the whole series is, What Does God Expect? Uh, in other words, what does God expect of me? What is, how does he expect me to live my life? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And so you can read 5, 6, and 7. That sermon takes those three chapters, the majority of those three chapters. And uh, we're just focusing in on the introductory remarks of Christ where he lists out some things that uh, really build one on the other uh, as we go through them. And, and in Matthew 5, the first thing that we saw is that he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that word, we learned that poor in spirit means that we are absolutely destitute of any good in us. We have no good whatsoever in us. We're, that plays into this today, the one we're going to look at, because people think they are good and that they have good in them. But the Bible says we don't. We are, we are totally depraved. We're destitute without God. And we have no way of getting better. We are hopeless. And guess what that realization leads to? Blessed are those who mourn. You begin to mourn the fact that you are destitute uh, there in spirit and that you need uh, some help. And it says you'll be comforted if you mourn over that destitution. And then if I'm destitute and I realize it and I mourn that condition, spiritually speaking, then I become meek, which can be teachable. It could mean teachable because those people will inherit the earth. And then last week, we learned then that Knowing that leads us to a hunger and a thirst. Not a knowledge that I feel hungry or thirsty, but a longing. The words here in a special uh, way of saying it in, in the sentence structure. So that it means that we are longing both in hunger and thirsting for Christ and who he is in our life. And if we do that, we'll be satisfied. And then that leads us to today. Now, if I'm hungry and thirsting for that righteousness that is in Christ... I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to start showing what Christ showed, which is mercy. And we've also been going along with the corresponding uh, fruit of the Spirit. We're just taking them in the same order. And what we've discovered is they match up pretty well. Now, the Bible doesn't command us to do that, but they do match up. So today, we're talking about being moved by mercy. And in this one, as in several of them, there's no deeper meaning than what the word means. It means mercy, okay? Uh, but we will try to define it a little bit and, and give some implication of those definitions. Um, I, I shared with you um, recently uh, in, in one of these sermons a week or two ago, uh, and I, I don't even remember which one it was, but I, I told you about my brother-in-law who uh, was, was abused, accosted and abused by uh, a, a man when he was a teenager and it went on for several years. And as a result, he, he took on homosexuality and he lived that lifestyle until he died of AIDS at age 30 in 1990. Um, and that, that was the year that happened, around November of 90, uh, somewhere in that area. And, uh, but, but I want to tell you some more about that story. Uh, because he was in the hospital back then. The drugs they had for that condition didn't do a lot of good. Uh, today they can, they can uh, hold all that down and, and a person can live a relatively normal life. Uh, but back then uh, it was a death sentence and they knew it. And uh, he, he was pretty far along. And, and of course uh, his mother, um, Linda, my mother-in-law, and Janice, his sister, 
uh, they would go see him. And, and uh, I remember him going to see him, see him. And the nurses there said, your son is blessed here. And said, what do you mean? And said, well, none of the other guys have anybody that cares about him. Come see him. That you at least come and, and, and try to help him out. And that was kind of, that kind of struck us. You know, where, where, where's the mercy? But here's the, the rest of the story. He, he, his mom had him in church when he was a little boy, just like Janice was and her other brother David was. Um, he'd had some things happen in his life that moved him in that direction, and he gave in to that. And two weeks before the day he died, he called his old pastor, the pastor that he'd known as a little kid, and he asked one question. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I, want to make, I didn't say it right the first service. I want to get it right. Can you sum up Jesus in one word? That was his question. Now, the pastor prayed the Nehemiah prayer. You know, Nehemiah said, the king asked him, why are you troubled? What do you need? And he said, so I prayed to God and I said to the king. And that's kind of what that pastor said. He said, man, I said, oh, Lord, help me. And he said, and the word that came to mind was the word compassion. You see, compassion and mercy, that is the definition of mercy is compassion. And he prayed to God, and he explained how Jesus loved him, and that Jesus had compassion on him. And two weeks before he died, he was able to get serious about his relationship with God, and he was saved. I firmly believe that, and I'll tell you why I firmly believe that. You say, well, he just didn't want to go to hell, and he's trying to get out of it the last minute. Because he turned around, and he asked the pastor, he said, don't tell my family I did this until the funeral. Because he knew it was coming close. It was close. But he said this. And this is what lets me know he got saved. is because he cared about lost people immediately. He said, my friends will be there. And by friends, he meant his community from Atlanta would show up. He said, and here's what I want you to tell them. And here's what the pastor said in the funeral. He said, this happened. And Russell asked me not to say anything until now. And he said, he wanted me to say to you, and he spoke to Linda and Janice and David, to his family. And then he turned and he said, and to his friends here from Atlanta, church was half and half. You could tell which half was which. It was just different. And he said, he asked me to tell you that you're seeking something in your life that you will never find until you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I I, I commented to Janice that day at that moment, I said, Russell was just like Samson. He did more in his death than he ever did in his life for the cause of God. And I I believe that. I want to ask you a question. Do you desire mercy? What what would you have said if you know a kid that was lived a very sinful lifestyle, much like you have? Not maybe the same sin, just we've all lived a sinful lifestyle at some point. But what if somebody called you and said, can you sum up Jesus in one word? Do you desire mercy? Do you desire it from your spouse? We need mercy from our spouse, don't we? Yes. Okay, good. You got some response there. Good. I thought so. You, you desire mercy from your parents, especially if you're the kid on the end of a punishment. You desire mercy from your friends because you're, you're going to mess that up at some point. You desire it from your workmates. Some parents desire mercy from their children. Maybe 
They did something before they knew the Lord, and they, they want their children to have that mercy. The psalmist David desired mercy from God. In, in Psalm 55 and verse 1, he says uh, this, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. He asked God for mercy. Do you remember the penitent sinner in Luke 18, 13? The Bible, Jesus tells this story that this Pharisee, this guy who kept all the law, very religious, man, he had on the, he had on the right Sunday clothes. You know, they went on Saturday, but you get my point. He, he knew how to dress. He, he had wealth and all that. And he goes and he marches down the front of the church in a big parade. And he lets everybody hear him. He lifts, the Bible says, he lifts his face up to God. And he says, oh, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that sinner there in the back that, that I've got all this stuff. And I'm giving you 10% of all of it. And, and he goes on and on about his righteousness. And the Bible says there was a penitent sinner in the back, a tax collector standing far off. And the Bible says he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. We all need mercy. We all desire mercy. Let me just say mercy consists of treating people better than they deserve. A definition for forgiveness is not requiring the justice that is rightfully yours or the vengeance that is rightfully yours. You see somebody offend you, you have a right to revenge according to human nature and the laws of men. And forgiveness is not forgetting about it or just giving it a pass, but it's, it's intentionally not getting the revenge that rightfully belongs to you. And mercy, forgiveness is a form of mercy. And so I use that definition to say that mercy is treating people better than they deserve. It, it's aiding someone that you have no obligation to help. That's just a stranger to you. You have no obligation to that person, but you have mercy on them and you help them anyway. Mercy is a driving force behind Jesus' incarnation, becoming a man, living that life, dying for us on the cross, and his resurrection. Mercy pushed that. The mercy of God is the driving force in that. So here's what I want you to Take home with you. You can back it up to the statement. I, I got the order out. Whack for him. Back that up to that statement. When it comes to mercy, you get what you give. According to this verse, n- notice what it said. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Let's pause right there to ask God to help us understand this. Lord God, in Jesus' name, as we step into the throne room. First of all, Lord, we know that we constantly are in need of your mercy lord we're constantly in need of your grace we're constantly in need of your forgiveness and these words all go together related together and they they provide a picture for us when we bring them in together today we're looking at this part called mercy and we ask that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word and as we talk about this today lord drive home to us what it means to be merciful that we might actually do what you command us to do Knowing that as we do, we receive mercy from you. Lord, we, we ask you to bind our enemy. We ask you, Lord, to rebuke our enemy. That our minds might be free to hear your word. To apply it in our life. To understand, Lord, the wonderful things written in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's talk about what does it mean to be merciful. I tell you, it means compassion. It's got some other definitions. and But... Jesus illustrated mercy in Matthew 18, same book, uh, just uh, chapter 18. And it's when Peter comes and says, uh, Lord, 
How many times should I forgive my neighbor? And Jesus tells him a story. Listen to how the Bible puts it. And Peter came out to him, up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times because the law taught three times or the Pharisees taught three times. So Peter doubles it and adds one. That, that sounds reasonable, right? Well, if I owe 10, I'm going to give you 21. I'm going to give you double plus one. You know, just I, more than double, I'll give you a little extra as well. And he was kind of shocked, I believe, when Jesus said, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, and he goes on to say, can be compared to a king who wished. Now, remember, this is the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom we live in. That's what the Beatitudes are about. This king over this kingdom had, uh, had brought to him all of his servants to settle their accounts. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know how much that is. If I had looked it up, the comparison of a dollar to that would be different. So I don't know. So I'm going to just give a number. This isn't the number that compares to that. But I'm going to say a million bucks just to get it in our head. Okay, so it's a million dollars. And he says, and since he could not pay, the master ordered him to be sold his wife and children to be sold, and that all he had and everything he owned and payment be made, and then throwing him in prison to keep paying. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him, notice that word, and forgave him the debt. But when the saved servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So he owed a, a, a thousand, I think it's a ten thousand. This guy only owes him a hundred. So you can do the math. It's a lot less. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. And the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Listen to the last phrase, last sentence out of Jesus' mouth in this. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's in Matthew 18. Here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives us the model prayer in one of the places recorded. And you know that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our, as we, oh. Now, I don't know how that fits in your theology. But according to what the Bible says in all these cases is, if you don't forgive people who offend you, sin against you, take advantage of you, you don't get any forgiveness from God. You don't get any mercy from God. It's what he said, right? Blessed are the merciful. They receive mercy. Right? Now that's, that ought to shake you a little bit. Notice the forgiven. 
This guy in this story, he paid. He owed a huge debt, and that's the point. He paid a debt he couldn't even. Uh, he owed a debt he couldn't even pay. He it was beyond his means to pay back, and the king forgives him. And this forgiven man goes out to a man who owes him little and demands payment, even putting him in prison for that. Now, society, I said this a moment ago, I believe, but society, we like to think of ourselves as good. In fact, someone did a study of that, and they found out about 83%, and you know statistics, 47% of all statistics are made up on the spot, but supposedly it's a real study, and that 83% of the people believe that they were good, basically. But here's the shocking part, 77% of Christians surveyed believe they were basically good. Good. But Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says this None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We think we're good. God says, No, you're not. Remember the first beatitude we are poor in spirit, we are totally depraved, we are totally destitute spiritually before God and not only do we have nothing we have no strength or means to gain anything because we say well we'll try to do good and make a little bank with God we'll put it into the savings account and so we try to bring something to God and he goes that's corrupt money I can't take it because Isaiah says all our righteousness looks like filthy rags in his sight I don't want that that'd be like me taking monopoly money to the bank saying can I put this in my account (laughs) no Because it's not real money. It's no good, right? It's not good for anything except playing a board game. And some people are trying to play games with God. They think the scales will get balanced, you know, at the end. Well, I hope my good might outweigh my bad. Until you come to realize how bad you are, you will not know how good God is. You see, once you have sinned, there's no amount of good that's going to negate what you did. We could do that. Everybody's kind of knows about this now. Because I could ask you, have you ever told a lie? Still very effective. People never heard of it. I could ask you, have you ever told a lie? Well, the fact is, you know you did. You did when you were a kid to your mom. Say, yeah, but I was a kid. And the question, the question was, did you lie? Yes, I did. Okay, then makes you a liar, right? Have you ever stolen anything? Well, in school once I took a piece of paper. It was just a piece of paper. I was a kid. Yeah, but you stole it. You didn't ask for it. You just took it. That makes you a thief. Have you ever blasphemed God's name? Ever cursed? And I know all you Baptists haven't, but your pastor has. <laughs> right? You know, the, the Jews do not recognize the Catholics. Catholics don't res- recognize the Protestants. And Baptists don't recognize each other in a liquor store. <laughs> right? So we, 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 oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't, yeah, yeah, you have. Well, have you ever lusted for someone not you're married to? Well, yeah, of course. Part of the human condition, right? Have you ever hated someone? Well, Jesus said that's the same as murder. So by your own mouth, you're a lying, stealing, blaspheming, adulterous murderer. And nothing you do past that negates that. You are still that outside of Christ. And so we see that we have a need, we have a debt we can't pay. First Corinthians chapter 6 says this, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It doesn't say, that's how you used to be, but you got better and God says, oh, good job, you're in. No, you had to be washed, you had to be transformed, you had to be changed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because he took on your sin on the cross. We were just a new member of the class, we were talking about this. And I asked the question, when Jesus was on the cross, how many sins had you committed? There's two right answers. None of them, all of them. I hadn't lived yet, so in our way of thinking, I hadn't committed any sin. But in God's way of thinking, who is not limited by time and space, who can see the end from the beginning, saw our entire life of sin. And on that cross, Jesus took on all of our sin, and he paid for all of our sin. And we have to come to him and say, Lord, I accept your sacrifice for me on the cross, and I am yours. I want to follow your will. I want to do your will. And at that point, we realize the forgiveness of God in our life. We realize the washing of Christ's blood over our sin so that we are forgiven and we are sanctified. We're justified, as it says here, and not by the Spirit of God. You see, we've got to remember what God took us from and where he put us. Because even as a saved person, Romans 7 says, I still live in a body of sin. Colossians 3 says that I died, that is who I was in Adam. And then verse 5 says, so put to death what remains in your body. So even though I am forgiven, I've been made a new creation, there's still stuff that lives in here because this is a fallen body that is corrupt and I do things that are wrong. So the Bible tells me confess my sin, not to ask forgiveness, but to go to God and say, I agree with you, I blew that, I sinned, that you don't want me to do that, but the blood of Jesus has forgiven me of that sin. And so when our enemy, Satan, takes our offense to God and goes, look at what Stuart did. God looks at me, but I've been given the righteousness of Christ, says all I see is Jesus. That's how it works. I'm guilty. But God doesn't see me as guilty. He's taken away my sin so that I have the freedom to live. I, I want to I help us with that in just a minute. But I want to say this. That Paul never forgot where God took him from. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. Paul says this. I thank him who's given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he judged me faithful. Appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. You know who will never be merciful? Self-righteous people. They'll never be merciful because they're the standard all the rest of us have to live by, right? When you think you're righteous, everybody else is wrong. Most of us never ask this question in an argument. What if I'm wrong? Of course I'm right. I'm fighting for my right. I'm fighting for my right to be right and for you to be wrong. The Bible tells us that in Isaiah. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on Jesus the sin of everybody going their own way. That's the basis of all our arguments. I go my way, and if you don't go my way, you're wrong. And so self-righteous people will never show mercy because obviously I am God's standard for everybody else. But Paul said, here's a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
Wait a minute, Paul, didn't you write half of the New Testament? Didn't you write 13 out of 27 books? Yeah. Aren't you a Jew of the Jews? Yeah. Aren't you a Pharisee? Yeah. You know your tribe and you're in the New Testament? Yeah, I'm the tribe of Benjamin. I know my tribe. Have you ever broken the law of God, the ceremonial laws? Nope, not a one. And Paul said, but all that I count as, the, our Bible translated as rubbish or trash. The word is literally dung. I count it as a cow pile, dog pile over there for the excellency of knowing Christ. He describes it in a very graphic way. I, I usually apologize for that, but I won't. It's in the Bible. Just not in our language. But in their language, that's what he said. I count it as a dung heap for the excellency of knowing Christ. He never forgot that once he encountered Christ, he realized, I am poor in spirit. And he mourned that. He became meek and teachable. And then he hungered and thirsted for God's righteousness. And then he began to show mercy. Oh, he slipped a time or two, but we see in the Bible where he fixed that later. Remember, he, he wasn't too merciful about John Mark, but by the end of his life, he said, hey, bring John Mark. I need to see him. He's good for me. I need him. Self-righteous people will never be merciful. Well, who should we show mercy to? Well, I would say several. The poor, they need mercy. They, they are physically poor. We realize we're poor in spirit. But God has given us salvation. He's given us the grace of God. By the way, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you did deserve. And those two things go hand in hand. And so as God gives us mercy, he also gives us grace in order that we might grow to look like Christ. He gives us the power to overcome. He gives us the power to become more and more like Jesus. He gives us the power to do what we ought to do instead of just what we want to do. And we ought to go to the poor, the poor in spirit as well as the physically poor, because we were beggars and we found bread and we ought to go tell other beggars where they can find bread. Right? Amen. We... We should be merciful to the sorrowful around us. People are going through, through a loss of a job or, or a wayward child or a broken marriage or whatever. We ought to show mercy. We, we, we tend to be judgmental and say, well, they're getting what they deserve. Well, they're sorrowful. They realize there's something wrong. They don't need your judgment. They need your help. The Bible tells us that God is a judge and we don't know the whole situation. So we are required to show mercy because we receive mercy because we're just like them. We ought to show mercy. People offend us. And say a little bit more about that in a second. But man, when people offend us, we just want to get revenge. And we ought to show mercy. I'll, like I said, I'll say more about that in a second. We, we should be merciful to the openly sinful. I just talked about my brother-in-law. If you'd have met him in his life, openly sinful. There's more than just what I said in his life that was bad. I mean... Openly sinful. Well, that dirty, rotten sinner. No, it was a guy trapped by the enemy. Needed salvation. Needed Jesus. How about the souls of everyone? Everybody you meet is either going to heaven or hell. And those who are going to hell, don't, don't they deserve your mercy to tell them about Jesus? Telling people about Jesus is more than a duty. It is the act of mercy to someone who's doomed to hell and needs to hear about Christ so how do merciful people act we don't get offended real easily 
James 1.19 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The Bible also says in Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have they which love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. That word stumble is... In Greek, it's the word scandalon. It's the offense. It is offended. Nothing shall offend them, the King James. I like the King James in that better. Nothing shall offend them. What happens when you get offended? You're going to go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Can you believe this happened to me? Yeah. <laughs> What's your point? Because <laughs> you just made yourself look like a whiny little baby. Face your fears and troubles. Don't Facebook them. You know what you call what you do there? Gossip. And gossips don't go to heaven. That's what the Bible says. I didn't write it, guys. I'm just, I'm just the paper boy. I'm throwing it up on your porch. You can read it and do with it what you want, but I'm just throwing it up there. We're not easily offended. If somebody offends us, we go, wow, that poor person. They must need to know the Lord. <laughs> We don't get easily offended. Scripture says, if I love God's, why? I'm going to heaven. You can call me anything in the book. You can do anything you want to me. That doesn't change the fact I'm going to heaven and I know Jesus. Go for it. <laughs> By the way, you know what is possible for you to do? You can go down to the bank tomorrow and get out a loan and build a bridge and get over it. <laughs> it's just that easy. We can build a bridge of grace to bridge those events in our life. Merciful people even cover up other people's mistakes, their errors. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. I told you, it's called gossip. We, we don't cover up evil, dangerous things. That's obvious. Somebody needs to be brought to justice. We don't, we don't hide a murderer. We don't hide a, an evil thing but in our culture today it's it's a canceling complaining informing whining tell everybody what offends them culture but merciful people just go it's okay i won't tell anybody you said that i won't tell anybody you did that that's between me and you we're good and mercy does that merciful people let go they forgive i want to pause here Take your mind back to the passage I read, Matthew 18, about the guy that owed a lot, the guy that owed a little. The Bible, Jesus literally used two words in that. He said, and the king released him. But then it says, he went out and he seized that guy by the throat and held on to it. You see, you're holding on to hurt because you don't know the mercy of God in your life instead of letting go of that, letting go of that offense. I'm telling you, you live a much more peaceful life if you just let go of the offense because you offended God. You see, the problem with us not the problem with us thinking we're okay is we don't realize we've offended a holy God. And that is a lot worse than somebody 
cheating you or calling you a name or doing something evil against you. You offended a thrice holy God who is so pure he can't even look at evil and yet your life was nothing but filthy rags in his sight and instead of turning his back and casting you in hell, he put on flesh and lived among us and lived a perfect life and died in your place to take the punishment of God on him. Isaiah said it pleased him to bruise Christ for our sake so we can go free. And now you want to hold somebody that said a bad word against you by the throat? Let it go. Let it go. Forgiving people, show mercy and forgive people. Because remember what he said at the end. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you, if you don't forgive those, your brother from your heart. God won't forgive you if you refuse to forgive other people. You see, there's a danger in unforgiveness. There's no command here that says you have to be merciful and forgive. But it's not easy, and I get that. It costs somebody something. It costs God putting on flesh and dying for us for him to show us mercy. It's going to cost you something. You don't get the revenge that's rightfully yours. It's not easy, but the Bible never said it would be. And though there's no command to be merciful, there is a great warning because you get what you give. If you don't give mercy, you will not receive mercy. There's no command to do it, but there's a dire warning if you do not. And again, I can't even fit that in my theology, but I just know that it is the lifestyle of someone outside of the grace of God to be merciless. And it is an indication of a person who lives in the lifestyle of God to exhibit grace, because grace has been given. Well, the corresponding word in the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. That word actually means usefulness. And here's the definition implication, morally Excellent in character and demeanor. Gentleness, goodness, kindness. We are to be kind because of mercy in our life. And so we're just kind to people. There are some people that are ugly and mean to people. You know, at funerals, preachers try to preach lost people into heaven. You know that, right? I, I, I tend not to do that, but I'll tell you about a cousin of mine. I, I'm the baby grandchild on two sides of big families. So most of my first cousins were my parents' age. They were just older. And one of those cousins, he was mean as all get out. He died. And at his funeral, he's laying up there in the casket. And the preacher stood up and he said this. That is the meanest man I ever knew. Now, I'd never heard that at a funeral before. But I'll tell you what the whole family did. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He was. Yeah, Exactly. He followed it by he's also the most generous man I know. He'd give you the shirt off his back, but he was mean as a snake. Well, don't make the preacher lie at your funeral. Be kind. Love people. Show mercy. You have received mercy from God. Do you think Jesus went around complaining and condemning people all the time? The only people he ever condemned was self-righteous hypocrites in the church. I had a cousin, I invited him to church. He said, I don't like to go to church too many hypocrites. I said, I'd rather go to church with a few hypocrites than to hell with all of them. Right? You're a hypocrite. I don't care. That doesn't have anything to do with my relationship to God. I just need, I need to take care of my own business for God. And I want you to have mercy on me because I'm not perfect. Big hint, neither are you. We need to give mercy to each other, right? So, here's some things you could do this week. First, give thanks to God for all that he saved you from and everything he saved you to. 
I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm going to be. But thank God I'm not what I was. And I thank God that he is putting the image of Christ in me day by day. That's grace upon grace upon grace every day. And then think about the last time, instead of getting offended, you showed mercy. Instead of being offended, you showed mercy. I've had people insult me and then a couple of weeks later I have to turn around and ask a favor from me. And I never went, really? You want me to do that for you? No, I just said, sure, absolutely. I won't give you the specific. I do have a specific thing in mind, I won't tell you. But I've, I've, I've seen that work. And then thirdly, if kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, or part of the fruit, and the fuel for mercy, do you show mercy to others? You see, these things, both the Beatitudes and the fruit, they're not automatic like a gift. God has put them there because the Holy Spirit lives in us, right? But we have to obey that. We have to bring that out. The gift is given, you exercise that without even being knowledgeable about what it is because it's just part of who you are. But these are things that are contrary to human nature and we have to understand them and intentionally obey. And as you obey, they, God works that grace so that it becomes a part of who you are. So, do you show mercy to others because you have the command, this, you have this beatitude that's part of the fruit of the Spirit and is fuel for that? Are you using that fuel to show mercy? Let's pray. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we come before your throne knowing how much, Lord, we need you.